But I'm going to jump back really quickly. Uh, all the way to before I was your pastor, which is so long. It was not that long ago. It was like less than a year ago. But last November, I preached a three-part sermon series here um, in what was really the get-to-know-you of the for me. That was really important for me. Um, but the second sermon was about community, and I talked about this word ecclesia, which is Greek for, we translate it, the church. But ecclesia doesn't mean church, or it doesn't mean building. It, doesn't, it means called people. And so in reading through Acts this time around, I preached out of Acts on that day, this time around, I was like, have we done anything differently since a year ago when I preached that Ecclesia is not a place but called people? Have we changed anything about the way that we do this thing? And the answer is yes, we have changed things. But change for change's sake is not the point. So are we actually drawing nearer to what we're supposed to be doing? And so I want to tell you this morning, there is a term that I hate. Um, I didn't, I don't have a slide for it, but this term, so when, that <laughs> just drives me nuts, even just like saying it. When I'm like, you get up on Sunday morning, and you, you're, you get a text, are you going to church? I hate this term. Are you going to church? Because this is what we say, like, do you go to church? When we ask them if they're a Christian, like, do you go to church? And I'm going to keep saying it, but what's the verb? Come on, you can respond. This is going to be a responsive sermon, so you're going to have to use it. Go. So the, the idea is as soon as you're here, as soon as you've gone, you've done it. Right? So, like, are you going to church? Well, I'm going. But are you going to do anything when you're here? Are you going to, are you going to worship God? Are you going to draw into, near, in, into God's presence? Are you going to give of yourself and your spiritual gifts and of your resources and of your talents and of your time? Well, I guess you're going to give your time because you're going. But it's just so hollow. Are you going to church? What does it even mean? It just means, are you going to be there? And so often I think that what's happened is we've defined church, the purpose of church, as just being there. Just be there. Describe them to you. So imagine a little smiley face that says, Hi, I'm Peter. This is 
historic Catholic Church has operated. Everything that I'm going to say in this sermon is not a value judgment at all. These are facts. There are no value statements that I'm making. The Catholic Church is built on the idea that there is a person named Peter, which we know he's true, he's in the Bible, he's really existed, he's the first person that Jesus appointed to be in charge of the church. And that he went through, Peter did, he went through and, and defined what church was. And that when Peter died, there was a person who replaced him. And then after that person died, there was another person who replaced him. These are all men, but just all the way down the line, 2,000 years until today. And the new guy's name is Francis, Pope Francis. And this is the, the church structure. So do they, do, do, do they believe that the Bible is true? Of course they do. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the person who makes the rules is the individual who is in the line, direct line of succession. So it's an individual who decides what church is. The second thing, the second group of people are, that I'm going to mention are the uh, Anglican Church or the Episcopal Church in the United States. This is another church model. Um, they have the three-legged stool, so now you have to match the three-legged stool. Um, the three-legged stool is of this. Tradition, scripture, and logic. That all three of these things for the Anglican, Anglican Church or the Episcopal Church are equal. So scripture, as well as the tradition of the church, as well as logic, dictate how you make decisions. That's the authority structure. Okay? So equal part. If something is in scripture, but it doesn't fit with tradition and logic, that's two to one. It gets tossed. Then you have the Protestant church. And I'm going to talk about mainline Protestant denominations. So this is uh, the Methodists, um, this is in many ways the Reformed Church. You have the Bible. So they were like, the Bible's the most important authority thing. What's in the Bible? But then, they have this thing called systematic theology because they said, hey, look, but it's really confusing. The Bible's confusing. If you're reading along in a verse, you're like, it's confusing. It is confusing. So we're going to come up with a systematic way of figuring out what the Bible means. And out of that systematic theology, we're going to come up with a confession or a creed or, I mean, there's various terms for this. But there's going to be a document. So that's the document you would see. There's going to be a piece of paper that we all agree. So the Bible first, absolutely, Bible's still on top. But we're going to decide what the Bible means, and then we're going to write up like a, a paper that everybody can agree on. This is what the Bible means. And then you have us. This is where it's sad because it's just the Bible. The Evangelical Covenant Church and other churches are like this. And, and, and none of these are hard and fast. There are Catholic churches who, every Catholic church submits to the Pope, but there are Catholic churches that place more emphasis than others on different things. And throughout the years, this has been the case. There are, more, there are Methodist churches that place more emphasis on Scripture than they do on the Confessions. And, and that would be historic, but there's also churches that place more on the Confessions than on the Scriptures, right? So there's both. There's, all the churches are trying to fit into these different models of who's making the rules. And basically with the Evangelical Covenant Church, how we started at the very beginning is we said, we're not going to sign any confessions. Not that we don't agree with them, we're just not going to sign them. We're not going to have any individual who's, who's over us. We're not going to consider tradition or logic as part of our 
decision making. All we are going to do is have the Bible. And we're going to perpetually, like a gong clanging symbol over and over, ask, where is it written? Where is it written? Where is it written? Is it in the Bible or is it not in the Bible? If it's not in the Bible, we don't do it. If it's in the Bible, we do it. That's it. And there's interpretation, but it's just the Bible over and over. So, anyway, all of this to tell you, we have to then ask if we're going to be part of this fellowship. You don't have to be part of this fellowship. You can say, hey, I want to come to this church, but I don't necessarily agree with that underlying concept. That's fine. Keep coming. That's great. But if we're going to define it based on what we've said, which is, is just in the Bible or not in the Bible, then we have to ask the question, how does the Bible define what church is? How does the Bible define it? Not what are our preconceptions of it. Not how does the president of the Evangelical Covenant Church, John Weinrich, not what he says what the church is. What's in the Bible? And so I'm going to give you two minutes. Talk to people around you. If you had, if you were on a desert island, this is a metaphor that uh, one of the speakers from Chip 2009 tells. If you were on a desert island and you had never heard about any religion, and one day the Bible washes up on the shore, and, all right, recenter, refocus. You educators in the room know how hard it is to do that now. That has a lot to say about it. Not that bad. All right. Um, next 30 seconds. What did y'all come up with in your groups? Just call it out. Whoa, that was a lot from that, those two people. Love, community, and fellowship. Okay. What else? Giving. Sorry? Faith. Jesus told Peter to feed my sheep. That's a specific reference from Jim Birch, remember? <laughs> yeah. Family. Interesting. Prayer, Bible study. Okay. These are some good these are good answers. I'll cut it off. We keep going. So what I got basically was community, which includes love and fellowship, that we're a family together. I got this other thing of like feed my sheep and, and Bible studies. I got this third thing of like prayer and giving, right? Got a question for you. Does it say all the people came together and a couple people used their gifts while everybody else watched? Alright. Does it say that they had a more compelling worship experience than the other religious people of the time? Like, here's, you know, Peter is like, alright, plan of action, book of Acts. Guys, we need to have the best music in all of Antioch. If we're going to get these people to turn from their wickedness, we need Jimmy and Rhonda. 
gatherings were as comfortable and seeker-sensitive as possible. I'm just asking about the Bible. I'm not saying what's a good idea. That might be a great idea, but isn't it the Bible? I don't know. Did they say that it was really important that they had great coffee? There's a note from the back row. Did they say, have a bunch of services so that believers could pick one that would fit their schedule without having to sacrifice too much? But here's the thing. Those things that I just listed, I would bet if you ask most Christians in your life. This is the reason why most people select the church that they go to. Most people make their church decisions based not on anything that's in the Bible about what the church is, but instead based on a list that we have created. And I will also point out that even if we didn't get our authority from Scripture, that Pope Francis has not said any of these things. That the three-legged stool of the Episcopal Church would not lend itself to this. That there are no confessions that say this types of, these types of things. There is not a single reason why we do the things that we do. But yet, this is why we define the church. This is how we define the church. And so what do we see, right? We just said it. You all came up with the right answers because the truth is, if we're honest and you read it, it's really kind of clear. I'll read the scriptures that go along with it. There's an emphasis on the body and blood of Christ, communion, specifically. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Second thing, there's an interest in personal devotional growth, spiritual development. Again, I'll read it. All the believers devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There's incredible self-sacrificing love. I could keep saying, all the believers devoted themselves to fellowship, right? But I'll pick another one for you. This is later in the book of Acts. All the believers were united in one heart and mind. They felt that nothing that they owned was their own, so they shared everything that they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's blessing was upon all of them. There were, quote, no needy people among them, because all who owned land would sell it, bring the money to the apostles, and give in to all those in need. It's your whole life, this firm site. It's incredibly self-sacrificing. Finally, there was preaching the word and growth of the church. There was a devotion to this. Not like, this is like, you know, if it grows, it's nice. There was a devotion to evangelism and to preaching the gospel. An absolute imperative. Says the others, and, and, and here's the thing. And there was a disregard for the persecution that came with it. This is why comfort is so sinful in a church. And we'll get to this more, but they accepted his advice, that's Peter, 
They called the apostles. Oh, sorry. No, that's uh, they accepted his advice. That's the high priest. They called the apostles. This is Peter and James and John, and had them flogged. I'm not going to describe to you because we have children here what flogging is, but it could kill you. And it was the most painful torture that they had. The same thing they did to Jesus. They had them flogged, and they ordered them to go and never speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. The apostles left the high council. This is crazy. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And what did they do? And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach the message that Jesus is the Messiah. They were flogged, tortured. They were happy about it and then did the thing that got them flogged. This is actually what the church is. These four things. Whatever we've created, it might be nice. I love fellowship and community. I do. say, I'm going to go to that church because they have incredible self-sacrificing love. I'm going to go to that church because they have an interest in personal devotional prayer. Everybody there wants to grow deeper in Christ. That's why I want to go there. No, they're just like, doesn't fit my schedule? Is there good coffee? It's an emphasis on your call instead of on comfort. Are you called to it? Rather than is it something that makes you comfortable? Because there's a model for this, and if you want to look at the greatest church growth movements, I'm going to tell you, this might blow you away, but the ones who followed this, the church exploded, and the ones who didn't, the church was stagnant or died. The first 300 years of the church, it was illegal and punishable by death to preach the gospel. Peter and James and John, that conversation, they flogged them because they decided not to kill them. Paul says it in Corinthians many times. I've suffered death. I've uh, threat of death multiple times. I've been stoned, which is a form of torture and execution multiple times, right? First 300 years, rough for Christianity. That's when it grew the most. The Protestant Reformation, Luther, almost got killed. Rough for the Reformers. Christianity grew a lot. Are you seeing the trend yet? The state church versus the believer's church. This is how we were founded in the Evangelical Covenant Church. There was a state church that said, you can't read scripture, you can't gather in homes, you can't break bread together, you can't let women read the Bible. These are all things that the state church in Sweden said. The believer's church was the people who said, that's bunk, we're not going to do that. And it was punishable by imprisonment. And what happened? The church grew. China in the 20th century, obviously they're a country with no religious freedom, yet there are no missionaries allowed to go to China. Some sneak in anyway, but most of them don't. They, they, it's illegal to be a Christian in China and believe in the gospel of the Lord in, in, in a very real, practical way. Yet, China has the fastest growing Christian population on the planet. And then we ask whether the American secret church movement, you could call it the American megachurch movement, whatever, fits 
Foundation Church in North Carolina or these other churches you go, they're growing. But the population of our country in Christians is shrinking. The reality is very few people are coming to know Christ. People are just deciding to go to the place where they're more comfortable. And so you see them grow, but nobody's actually being changed. Not nobody. There are people. But as a whole, we're declining. This is the reality. Suffering produces growth, change, life change. So why do we want to go to a church where we're comfortable? Why is this the the message? The church, this is the model that works. When church becomes something that you consume, the church dies. When church becomes something that consumes you, but comes at your whole life, you live. The church lives. The church grows. When you do the four things, it doesn't matter how good your music is. Sorry, Jimmy. doesn't matter how good your coffee is. Sorry, Eli. All that matters is that you're willing to sell out. And when that happens, the church grows and you change your life. When it doesn't, the church is not a place that you should go to be entertained. The church is not a place that you should go to feel better about yourself. Though that has been told to you through the radio waves and many other places, the church is not a place to go to feel better about yourself. Hopefully, you do feel better about yourself when you go there, but that's not the point. not a group of people who share your political preferences, which I think we model really well here, because very few of us share each other's political preferences. But um, that's not the state of the church in the United States. Most churches are monolithic in their political leanings. It's not something you do for fun, or because you think you should, or because you think God's going to love you more. Church is something you do to change what this one's saying. But all the people that we read about in Acts, except for John, who they failed when they tried to execute, were executed. They just don't talk about it. Well, they talk about it for James, but other than him. So they were radically new people, going out, serving the Lord, sharing the Lord's Supper, praying for each other, radically giving everything that they owned to the poor, uh, preaching the gospel, even though they were being persecuted. But eventually they did get killed. And that's what you signed up for back then. I wonder if all of us would sign up for that now. Because if not, why should we expect to see the church be the New Testament church of Acts if we're not willing to sign up for the same thing that they signed up for? I'm not saying we should go out and seek persecution, but I promise you, if you live counterculturally against the culture of this world, you will face hardship. The 
church is none of those things because it's something, it's not something that you consume, it's something that consumes you. Don't seek to change the church. I mean, if you think that we should change to be more biblical, talk to me about it, we'll do it. I no question about that. It doesn't bother me at all. But don't seek to change the church to find a church that fits all of your preferences or checks all of your boxes. Seek and be so humble that actually your boxes might change by being there. Don't come to express some sort of opinion about something. Engage in a body of believers by laying down your opinions. Because honestly, you've got to be honest, all of my opinions that are not found in this book that I come to on my own, they're just not very good opinions. If it's not in here, it's not a very good opinion. I, I, I guess there's a chance. There's like an infinitesimal less than a fraction of a percent chance that anything that I ever say that's of my own opinion and not in this book will stand for 2,000 years. But this so far. So that's where I'm going to conclude. Because I could just like keep going on. Come not to see something. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Come not to see something, but to be something. If you're here because you want to passively take it in, like going to a movie, I express, I, I, I would offer, maybe instead of this being a movie, think of it more like going to the gym. You don't go to the gym to passively watch people run. If you do, you're creepy, and we should talk about it. You go to the gym to work out, not to see other people work out. You go to get stronger or faster or more in shape or whatever so that you can be prepared for the rest of the world around you. But sometimes I think Maybe if people in this congregation or in every congregation are not leading and serving and evangelizing and loving radically and sacrificially giving and all of these things, if you don't identify with any of those things, if you're not doing any of those things outside of this, why would you ever want to go to a spiritual gym? Why would you want to be challenged to grow? What's the point? Grow to do what? Grow to be like more holy? That's a losing proposition. But if you are doing all of those things, <laughs> take me. It's an inside joke. Um, if you grow, if you're there to grow because you have outlets for all of those things that you want to do. If you're like, I'm leading a small group. I'm leading a Bible study with non-believers in my life. i got to go to church to figure out what this is about because I need the fitness. But if you're a person who sits, let's, let's just take this analogy and run with it. I'm sorry. It's all I have. If you're a person who spiritually just sits on the sidelines or sits on the couch, I don't expect you to come here wanting to grow. If you're just like, well, I'm not. I'm never going to evangelize anyone. I'm never going to change my my heart for for missions. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to lead. I'm never going to uproot my life and move somewhere to serve God. It's not surprising that you want to just consume this and just be here for 30 years. I hope none of you are here in 30 years because I hope you're all radically serving someone.
but it's something that consumes you. It's not going to change anything. It's not going to do anything. As we transition to the table, know that.